Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm Will Patch, Enrollment Marketing Leader at Niche. In this podcast, my goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and the questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. My guest today is Dr. Len Tencher-Ladner. She's the President and CEO at Phi Theta Kappa, which is the Honor Society for Students at an Associate Degree Institution. They provide leadership and scholarship opportunities for students and partners to help them achieve their goals. Before that, she worked at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College and the University of Southern Mississippi. One thing that I really appreciate is their background is in research and data viz. So welcome. Thanks for making time to chat, Dr. Lynn. Oh, thank you, Will. Uh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm going to start off here with two questions I ask everybody. So first up, what's something you tried that didn't work and what did you learn? You're starting out with the easy questions, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so many things. I guess as a math person, um, I have recognized the things here at PTK that haven't worked, there's sort of this overarching pattern to them. And what I did learn from that, I'll answer your question kind of in reverse, is to keep things pretty simple if you possibly can and still reach your goals. We're a hundred year old organization. So many of the things we were asking students to do, they were complex and had a lot of steps to them. It's almost like it was embedded in the culture of the organization. Like just to become a member or to apply for a scholarship, you had to jump through so many hoops and answer so many questions. And, and I think that culturally we thought that translated into rigor. And when I came in and started looking at our processes and, you know, complexity really to me means it's time consuming, it's expensive, and how can we make this better and still make sure we are meeting the goal of what it is we're even trying to do. If you'll allow me a soapbox moment here. Hoops and challenges and extra work do not make something more rigorous. It does not make it better. It just adds a barrier that keeps people out. You know, think about your inquiry forms. Think about your processes. Think about your application. Make it something that anyone can do without needing to feel excluded. I mean, I would get these extremely long emails and I would just reply and just say too many words, too many words. <laughs> And, and just trying to break the staff of this, this over-complex way of looking at every single problem. We've been working on that for quite a while and trying to look at everything we do and how can we get it done and get it done right, but not make it so difficult and complex. And, and that's what we're sort of learning. And it's really embedded in everything we do. I appreciate the people who are really making it their mission to break down the barriers and say, what do we actually need? Mm -hmm. How do we get there? Like, are we really going to use this piece of data? I mean, to become a member, there was, you know, hundreds of questions or actually to use our transfer, transfer tools where we were really asking tremendous amounts of data. And in this day and age, I mean, students don't want to give up that information about themselves for one thing. And for another thing, you know, we weren't using the lion's share of that data. You don't want to swing the pendulum too far. I mean, we might have someone say, hey, we want to do something for your veteran students. And if we don't know which ones are veterans, that's a, a real big problem. So you really have to kind of hit a nice little medium there as to, to what you're asking them to do and what you're needing from them uh, to get things done. What are some practices that you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? I mean, you mentioned it's 100 years old, but how do you keep it fresh? You have to force yourself to do things that you're not required to do. And one of those things that I do here constantly is, is research. I know that sounds a little boring, but when you when you do research, every every college, every organization, every business has research questions that they need to answer. We're so busy being practitioners and we're on that little, you know, that wheel 
And we've got to stop and, and in a very comprehensive way, try to answer our own problems from a research standpoint. And, and when you do that properly, you have to look at what everybody else is doing. And when you start going through and reading and like if your goal is to do a better job with transfer, if you go out there and you read every article, every peer reviewed journal article and um, the work of others, and you know, some organizations like Lumina or some of these other organizations that put out National Student Clearinghouse and you become sort of a mini expert and you start to really understand what's going on out there. So you don't step into the same potholes that someone else has stepped into. If you, if you walk into a room and you want to solve a problem, but you really don't know where everyone else is on this problem and what's being done, I think that's one of the real pitfalls. So we do a lot of research around here. When we go to break down something, we do it in a, a comprehensive way so that you know we can move forward and add to that forward momentum that others have laid out ahead of you. Another thing I'm a real big fan of, and these two ideas kind of go together, is I look outside the field. When you read just education, or if you stay just in that lane and the only news you're consuming every morning is, say, Inside Higher Ed or The Chronicle, you really become a little too narrow in your understanding of how to solve issues and bring new ideas to your organization. And this happens when I'm doing the research. I'm forced to look at psychology journals and economics journals. Um, we read a lot of human capital development journals. You know, just looking at what's working out there and, and looking outside of education, because some of the problems facing education are, are, are not just unique to education. I think lastly, another thing is we, we really bring students into the conversation. I mean, it's embedded in what we do here at PTK. You know, I did this too when I was a college administrator. We wanted to solve some big problem. So we would get everyone in a room and we would be like, oh, okay, how are we going to solve this problem? And I'd look around and there would be administrators and there might be faculty in there, but there were definitely no students. I think that listening to the students and, and it really it takes nothing more than just listening to them. And you can hear patterns in what they're saying, and you can kind of see some direction that you need to take. So getting the students into the conversation is, is another really big way to help things along. This idea of research being embedded in everything you're doing, I know your first role with Bythea Kappa was in the research role, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually, they recruited me to, they were like, our students, you know, how are they doing? And what I first did is I pulled the completion rates and, and the student success rates and of PTK members. The first state I did this for was Louisiana. I was just shocked at how great the organization was doing. I mean, I expected the numbers to be high. I mean, these are honor students. And so I expected them to have really high completion rates, but not as high as I found. So there was something a little bit different about this organization than anything I had come across. And that's why I came here. And we've kept that. Obviously, it's my background. So everyone, everyone's looking at data and everyone's doing research. And it's not just data, though. It's qualitative and quantitative aspects of, of what's working here at PTK. You're speaking my language here. I love, I love all this. Was this something that existed already before they recruited you? Or is this sort of a culture you brought in? It, they did not have an institutional researcher. In fact, it was Dr. Walter Bonfus was at that time sort of the newly head of the American Association of Community Colleges. And I think he asked a question and the CEO of PTK at the time said, you know, we, we just we probably need to hire an institutional researcher. And he said, we probably do. At that time, he started looking 
uh, for an institutional researcher, and that's how he found me. When you have a job opening, are you looking for people who already have that data background or, or an interest in research, or are you finding people and then converting them? <laughs> <laughs> Both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we're doing an interview, and, and I think this is something colleges need to look at, like if you're teaching a lot of online classes, why don't you ask them in the interview how they're... <laughs> how they're going to respond to that or are they, do they have any skills in that area? But our interview process has really changed a lot um, in trying to look at people's ability to look at data and, and kind of guide their decision framework. And for the employees that are here, it's, it's uh, a lot of training and particularly the leaders, the executive leadership of each of the areas, they, they kind of have to already have the skill if they're going to lead those areas. So kind of hitting it from all directions, but we don't like to do a hire unless they can kind of explain themselves as far as how they're, how they've done this in the past and in other jobs that they've had. But there's people out there who say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not a data person. I don't, I don't like that. It's not my area. Have you had to help get people over that hump and realize you really are? I think what happens is, you know, we've had some things we've wanted to move the needle on for a very long time, and we weren't able to move these needles around here. And, you know, some employees maybe that felt like we couldn't move them. And that's just the, you know, the way it was, you know, the average height of a person is this, and this is the average acceptance rate at PTK, you know, like it was just this thing, <laughs> you know, this thing out of nature. And and I think that when we got the right people in some of the right seats, I actually hired a data scientist just for the membership area. And I have another one embedded into the engagement area, trying to get students to be more engaged. And we have um, moved the needle on both of these areas. We have more people um, joining than ever before, as far as the percent of students eligible at a particular college. And we have more students engaged than ever before. And I think that when the other employees saw these needles finally moving after, you know, 100 years or whatever, they started to really believe that it could happen. Great. So you're, you're working with a lot of staff at both two-year and four-year institutions. Can you think of some examples where they're working really well together to help students transition and some of those processes that, you know, other people who are listening to this might be able to say, Oh, that's a process we might be able to use here. These transition points are difficult, especially the transfer one. You know, there's an ownership issue. I think that colleges that have really worked with their local feeders, their main feeder institutions, and said, we're going to take ownership over this process and we're going to make it better for students and, and do things like look at the barriers. And, and I think these partnerships are really important. And, and they've been around a long time and we still have transfer issues. So we really have to look in different places colleges and, and the universities that are beginning to finally look at this problem from the perspective of the student and not the institution, they are making huge strides. I think my favorite thing is when two-year faculty work with four-year faculty, say in a department, say mathematics, say you're teaching calculus, and, and are your learning outcomes at the two-year level are the same rigor or are they identical to the learning outcomes at the four-year institution? Looking at this and bringing faculty together, that's, that's pretty difficult to do. But if you do that every three to five years, you can really align these classes very well. Plus, it solves another problem. You get four-year faculty don't really think of the transfer students as, as you know, so, something less than what a native four-year student would be at their institution going through their, their particular program. So 
I think that, you know, faculty need to work together and, and that's something that's not as common, but when you see it, that really helps a lot. So often you see the admissions offices and student services collaborating, talking together, registrar's offices. I've not heard of someone connecting faculty. It seems like such a no-brainer. I hope this is something you can take back, talk to your faculty council, and get some conversations going. And I think four-year colleges are doing a, a bit better job of connecting to students even earlier. Like, don't wait until the transition is happening. That's where it really gets tough and complex. And connecting to those students even earlier and maybe getting some of the paperwork out of the way early on, making it as seamless as possible. And, and that's not easy to do. I would like to see if I had any wish about the transfer process is, you know, a lot of community college students, they're very capable and they, they don't transfer because of cost or perhaps location. But I think that if four-year colleges did a really a little bit better job of meeting the community college students exactly where they are, that would really help them. Right now at Phi Theta Kappa, we have, we have about 850 scholarships out there for our transfer students. In fact, if you ask a PTK member, you know, why did you join PTK? A lot of times they'll say, oh, for the transfer scholarship. Uh, of course, once we get our hands on them, there's a lot more that we want to do with them and that we do. But that's why they join. And but the problem with that is, is they have to sort of remain full time. And and if four year colleges would say, hey, here are some really great part time community college students. Let's let's give them a little bit of a scholarship, too. I think that four year colleges that started doing that would really bust open their doors wide open to the large numbers of part-time students that would come to their institutions from Phi Theta Kappa anyway. Have you seen schools doing a good job of supporting those part-time students and helping them transition and, and making sure they don't fumble that handoff from two-year to four-year? I've really not seen it done very well from the financial support perspective. I mean, a part-time student is eligible for Pell, but if you just back up even beyond the institutional level and you look at the state level and, and if you look at financial aid in just about any state, you know, it's it, it's really not matured into what's going on in the country. You know, you look at financial aid systems and they they reward students for, for being very smart and they reward students for going full time. They do not look at that person who's working, who's taking a couple of classes and, and cobbling together a degree over a number of years, perhaps from a number of institutions. By and large, though, as we move forward in time, that's become the norm. And we have to mature financial aid to match that. And, and so uh, colleges and universities that have institutional aid, they have to kind of mature that as well. So... I think it's a big problem, and it's not just at the college level. It seems like, at least, you're taking these students who are already high need. They may also be supporting a family or their parents. And on top of that, you're saying that, well, you need to work in order to go to college. But on top of that, you also have to go to school full-time if you want any support. You're not setting someone up for success. Everyone's like, oh, well, the Pell Grant covers community college trend, you know, tuition. I'm like, yeah, only if you're full-time. And then once you're full-time, how are you going to pay your living expenses? So there is this, you know, you need to look at it for what it really is. And Pell grants need to be higher or there needs to be a, a substantive part-time version of it that works for everybody and uh, allows them to also transfer because, you know, the big showstopper for transfer is the cost. And we have to kind of look at that 
and how we mitigate that for, for so many students if we really want more degree production in this country. And that's what everyone says they want. And on top of all of that, a part-time student is probably the most important kind of student because they're paying taxes because they're working. (laughs) So it's like, you know, anyway, that it's just something that states really have to kind of look at, at their financial aid and it needs to be matured. Colleges are really good about responding. And, you know, you look at, oh, you know, we're going to have performance-based funding and they're like, oh, so we're going to play, pay attention to completion rates a little bit better now that, that there's a need to do so. So I think that policymakers, and they really need to look at their financial aid and go, is this really looking at a very narrow group of students or is this looking at most of the students in my state? Well, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to learn now, are these students who are able to balance work and school, so they're a part-time student, if they're able to balance that later in life, are they able to also balance lifelong learning? You know, they've already done this. Yeah. Um, I think these would be the kind of students you would want working for you, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they already know how to work full-time and manage an education, it seems like. A lot of PTK members are part, our president of our organization right now. She is a part-time online student from Texas, and she is the leader of Phi Theta Kappa. So that should just tell you these students are perfectly capable of uh, rising to the ranks of the highest levels of student leadership. Yet they, and it's because they're juggling this life. You know, she has two boys. She's a part-time student. She attends online. She's on the board of her college. She's on the board of Phi Theta Kappa. I mean, she's just totally amazing. That's exactly who is going to be successful because yeah. they can do more than one thing at once. Can't wait till she can get through school so I can hire her. <laughs> <laughs> so what services and what support are you seeing to help change this narrative of low graduation rates at, I would typically say community colleges, but two-year institutions? <laughs> you know, I've worked in community colleges a very long time. And so for years, we're like, they're not looking at us. They don't care about us. And then finally, about 10 years ago, they started looking at us and we're like, oh, my God, they're looking at us. They're looking at us. <laughs> and, it's, you know, the completion rates of community colleges were just so low. And and like I said about the research, and we just weren't even looking at it like, oh, oh, OK. <laughs> and um, I think there was this uh, period of denial about it. And then, you know, I think a lot of colleges have kind of navigated through that and and they have locked arms and, and really looked at this problem, hopefully from a research perspective. And, and it's not just the services that have helped. You know, colleges have looked at, hey, are we literally offering courses in a way that students can graduate in two years, even if they are full time? Are you teaching classes at the right times for students? Are you teaching appropriate numbers of classes online so they can be flexible? So they really went into this more, this infrastructure dive of, you know, are students being advised? Are they even taking the right courses? And, and some colleges are still grappling, you know, with uh, doing all of that because all of that takes, you know, money. If you want to offer calculus in, in both the morning and the afternoon and online, you, you need support to do so. So there's been this unfortunate decline in their funding at the same time that they're truly for the first time in, in probably their history, really looking at their pipelines for students. And of course, service is really important. I think that, you know, childcare, mental health is a, another huge issue. And I think after the coronavirus, it's going to be even more huge uh, for us to look at the mental health of our students and the services do matter. 
you know, how are we, we really generating a sense of belonging? You know, these students get onto these campuses and they decide pretty quickly, like they do everything else in their lives, if this is right for them. How can colleges really look at these students and develop that sense of belonging that we really want you here and we care about you? And I think community colleges are, are looking at how they can do that from a cultural standpoint. Kind of the final frontier is a lot of colleges are now breaking down and looking at their colleges through an equity lens. Are we really serving diverse populations of students in the very best ways that we can? Are Black and Latino students having just as much success as white students? And if they're not, then why not? And, and so there's a group of colleges, I'd say a couple hundred, um, that have probably evolved into that level of looking at this. But increasing completion rates is, is a huge complex problem and it requires a lot more funding. So I, I wish that policymakers that, you know, quit demanding high completion rates without, you know, properly giving them the supports that they need for, at the college level. I think the term unfunded mandates comes to mind. <laughs> and all this, uh, we do, we can do more with less. And I'm like, no, you can actually only yeah. do less with less and more. With more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, not to, not to say that creativity and, you know, streamlining their institutions. But I think over the last decade, colleges have really done a great job of, you know, um, streamlining and managing those organizations correctly, but still coming up short of what's needed to really move the needle on some of this stuff. You know, they, they always persevere and, and they have increased completion rates uh, quite a bit. And I, I think over the decade that we've been working on this problem, we've added another 2.5 million degrees. So if you would have say degree production would have remained the same in 2010 as it is, you know, today, they added another two and a half million degrees over that 10 year period um, that they would probably not have if they had not looked at what they were doing. I want to talk about the equity profile and, and the work you're doing analyzing equity among institutions and states and students. I guess, first off, can you, can you give people a brief intro? I, I think these are, they're very accessible. They're very well done. Of course, we want to know at PTK if our completion rates are higher than they are, but we also wanted to break them down by the different racial groups, you know, in particular and our, you know, gender, are we racially equitable and do we have gender equity? And and when we look at the data at PTK, we, we do feel like we have great equity. We're seeing uh, no difference in the completion rates of our members, depending on their income status, their gender or their race. And so, you know, we look at these things and then I guess the next step would be why. We have recently published um, our equity profile. We had a state profile for every single state. We looked at the completion of uh, the PTK members in that state and we do look at our equity. But we also look not just at, you know, the completion. We look at our membership base as a whole. I think uh, in 2015, we had a new strategic plan and diversity and equity and inclusion was um, a part of that plan. And so we've been at this a good five years now. And, um, you know, and, and some of our work really began with, you know, looking at our staff. Is our staff equitable? Uh, are we looking like the students we serve? And if not, you know, what can we do about that? And, and we really uh, started working on when we interviewed new people for new jobs, we, we made certain that the, the pool of candidates was highly diverse. And, and when you do that, you'll find that you automatically increase the diversity of your organization because 
if you're not interviewing ac across a, a diverse field, you're not going to get diversity no matter what. But we also looked at our state. So we compute something called the diversity index. And what it does is it says, okay, here is the diversity uh, of the community colleges. And then we, and then we look at our diversity. It's a, really a probability model of, you know, what is the probability that any two random PTK members would run into themselves and be of different races? And uh, we compute that probability each state, and we also compute it for the institutions. And where did we get this idea? It wasn't from education. This is actually something they do in uh, social sciences and things like that. So we kind of stole that idea and used it here. But it gives you one number that says, hey, here's your, you know, here's, here's the probability that you're diverse is what it is. And um, that helped us kind of look at states that we're not doing a good job. You know, like if you look at Texas and California, those are our PTK there is actually more diverse than the colleges that it serves. And so we did do that. And we started working in those states saying, hey, we're, we're not looking quite right here. And, and so we did increase the diversity of the staff and of the membership. And then, of course, we want to look at the output, you know, how many people are being successful. And that looks uh, pretty good, too. So that's kind of what we've done recently. Yeah. And with that, what are you seeing that's being done that's leading to the organizations in the states and the colleges that are more equitable? What are they doing differently? Well, I think that they are looking at things from a student's perspective. And when I look at what we're doing, people say, oh, you know, PTK is such a transformational experience. And, and I'm like, okay, well, what's transforming then? <laughs> you know, like you can say something's a transformational experience, but you know, what is transforming? And, and the goal is to change their behavior. The colleges that are being successful are really looking at that student and their experiences as a whole. And, you know, are they seeing other students that look just like them be successful? You know, so if you have poor completion rates among, among say, Black and Latino students, then you know, that might feed, a, have a feedback loop. If they're not seeing people that look just like them be successful, they won't be either. And so you have to kind of uh, really pull up the, the things that are working and say, here's what's working. And, you know, you hear the saying, knowing it's half the battle. The colleges that have literally broken down and disaggregated their data and say, here is a problem and show it to everyone on staff and everyone's really kind of aware that, yeah, that's not good, that that's happening here, that that completion rate for, say, that particular racial group is pretty low. And they need to, to respond to that in all kinds of ways. But they have to look at the student from their own experiences, too. And, and do they have a sense of belonging? If you are in a classroom, for example, and, and you're taking a test and you do really bad and there's only, say, three grades in the class, I mean, you're, you're not really being given an opportunity to sort of have a experiment with your learning. So I think that instructors that are really looking at, you know, letting students revise their work and trying to give them more wins. And, and it's not about always having good things to say to students. It's about giving them feedback in such a way that they can, they can grow from that. And, and I think colleges that are doing that are, are having much better success with equity. Equity has to be institution-wide. I mean, there's a lot of places you have your diversity officer, you have multicultural services, yeah. admissions does their part, student affairs. But if everyone's trying to do their own little piece, 
what's the overall plan? You know, especially with academics. I mean, you keep going back to faculty. That's the core of it, right? Yeah, I think faculty don't realize how important they are. If they're in there just to teach their learning outcomes, then the school is in trouble. <laughs> if they're not looking at, you know, how do we change these people and or get rid of them? I think we didn't go down that path here, you know, having a chief diversity officer, because if we do that, it's like, oh, that's someone else's job. And I think that colleges that have truly made that shift to making it everyone's job to solve these problems, they're, they're going to be more successful than others. You look at achieving the dream and, and they're really probably, on, uh, as far as from a theoretical framework perspective, giving colleges uh, numerous ways to attack this problem from a campus-wide perspective. Uh, we only have about 130 colleges in the Achieving the Dream model, but that would be one way for students to really look at, at cracking that code. How, what's what's the student reaction been to the equity profile so far? Have you gotten feedback there? They, you know, they love it. You know, PTK members, they're just so that they're like, you know, numbers don't lie. You know, and they're very proud. I mean, they. They're a very hardworking group of students and us having some great things to say about them, publishing it out. They're just really proud of the fact that, you know, we're an equitable, equitable as possible organization. And, and not that we don't have our own issues. You know, we have a membership fee that we're constantly fundraising for uh, students that cannot afford to join. And um, so we have our own access issues and we have our own equity issues that we're constantly looking at. I think the most recent one was, you know, running for international office. And and I'm looking back at, you know, to run for international office, uh, students have to have an institution that's willing to support them and, and, and travel and some other things. And, and so we're actually looking at that right now and saying, OK, how can we make it to where anyone who wants to be an officer of PTK can can do that? And I think we've figured out a way. But every time that we go to tackle equity issues, it ends up increasing costs. And I think that's something that we can't talk about enough, that we to make things more equitable, we are going to have to increase resources in one area or take away from another. That's the challenge of making sure everyone, regardless of whether they can afford it or not, can be involved. But at the same time, making sure you keep the lights on because you can't help anybody if, right. if you have no money. I mean, just a few years ago, we opened the doors of society to um, incarcerated students. And I mean, this is a pretty big controversial thing. But, you know, when you have prison pill now, you have students inside of community colleges that are also in prison and getting degrees. If they qualify to be in PTK as a, an academic excellent student, then they cannot join unless we're, they, we allow them to. And so we had to make some changes to our bylaws and even our constitution to make that happen. But then once you say, okay, you can join, like, how are they going to pay for it? So then, the, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just one thing after another. So it's, it's a constant battle, but you got, there are solutions for it. You have to stay on top of it. There has to be the will to do something. <laughs> Dr. Lynn, thank you for all this. I really appreciate your time. And if people have questions, they want to follow up with you. What's the best way they can connect? I think via email would be great. You can get me at uh, my name, lynn.tincher-letter at ptk.org, or I think you can email lynn at ptk.org and you can get me there as well. Thank you. I, I appreciate your time here. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Will. I appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to Phi Theta Kappa.